0: Welcome to Adventures in Evaluation Podcast with James Coyle and Kylie Hutchinson. Hey, it's James Coyle, and that's Kylie Hutchinson. Hey, Kylie.
1: Hey, James. How are you?
0: Pretty well. Welcome uh, back, everybody, to Adventures in Evaluation Podcast. This week, we have a special guest.
1: Yes, we do. We have Susan Kistler, who is the Executive Director of the American Evaluation Association. And Susan's going to be talking to us about uh, this year's conference coming up in Minneapolis.
0: Fantastic. Why don't we go to that interview now?
1: Sounds great. So here we are with Susan Kistler. Hi, Susan. Hello. How are you?
2: I'm well, thank you. Yeah, and so how are things in Massachusetts? They are pouring. It's currently in the middle of the worst storm we've had in five years. We've got lightning, thunder, downpours, wind. Uh, and uh, there happens to be somebody outside my door breaking rocks. But other than that, life's great.
1: Oh, Sounds like perfect conditions for doing a podcast. Of course.
0: Hey, Susan, it's James Coyle. How are you?
1: I
2: am well, James. Thanks so much.
0: It's great to uh, finally chat with you live. I know we've exchanged some emails in the past, but uh, we're really happy to have you on our show.
2: I appreciate it.
1: So, uh, Susan, we thought that maybe you would be uh, one of the best people to speak about the upcoming AEA conference, and uh We just wondered, in terms of giving us a sneak preview, what should people know about this year's conference, or what's new, what's uh, kind of exciting? What what do you have to tell us?
2: Well, the easy things are that we're in Minneapolis in October, 24 to 27, and uh, the theme for the year is Evaluation in Complex Ecologies, Relationships, Responsibilities, and Relevance. For those who have been to one of our conferences before uh what's new? We have um, a new set of sessions called Brown Bag two different kinds of sessions Brown bag idea exchanges, which are we've decided afterwards sort of like hindsight is twenty twenty definitely should have used a different name, but uh the concept is like birds of a feather sessions that people may have seen at other meetings so on Saturday afternoon we're having sort of informal lunch gatherings around uh, topics of common interest. Um, We also have Ignite sessions this year. So our wonderful data visualization and reporting TIG, Topical Interest Group, had Ignite presentations for their business meeting last year. This year, we have over 60 different Ignite presentations across. I think we have eight different or nine different sessions. Um, So I don't know if if your listeners know what Ignite presentations are.
0: Yeah, we actually had uh, Stephanie Evergreen on recently to talk about that.
2: So, yeah, we have over 60 of those this year, which is a a, a new format, at least in this, you know, in that that number of them. Um, we have keynotes this year that are really, really cool. I'm so excited. Linda Smith's coming. Um, she's the author of Decolonizing Methodologies, Research, and in Indigenous Peoples. And she's from New Zealand at the University of Waikato. I hope I have not pronounce that incorrectly, Mm -hmm. and we have Oren Hesterman from uh, the he's the president of Fair Food Network and the author of Fair Food: Growing a Healthy, Sustainable Food System for All. Um, Last year was the first year we really had uh, we had two different outside speakers. People we got great feedback about them. um, Loved having sort of that that external perspective. Uh, on our field and something that was clear those people said you know we really could use some sort of translator something that helped connect these great messages and these great speakers with our practice so this something different for this year is both of the two external keynotes are going to have uh, discussants the sort of senior members who try to help make those connections for the audience oh uh, you you know that's that's great to
1: hear because uh i've felt that several times that wow this was a great keynote speaker but i i didn't quite get the connection with evaluation yeah yeah yeah. exactly so the fellow that's oren's talking about fair food so Mm -hmm. uh, can you give us a little bit more detail on what he's talking about and that link with evaluation
2: well he's sort of on a mission to change how food is grown and shipped and sold and how we eat and how we think about food and how we think about food should be produced and he's really talking about Collecting information in real time to inform policies and systems. So, mm-hmm. how do you look at the the food production system from um, you know from field to plate, and collect data all along the way in order to create a more sustainable system?
0: That sounds great. It's uh, who doesn't like food for starters?
2: Exactly. Sounds
1: yummy. Hey Susan I wanted to jump back to something you said about the brown, the brown bag themes. So what what is different about those from the traditional round tables?
2: So at least it, one of the challenges is for conference to conference people use different session titles or session you know a, a panel is one thing one place and something else somewhere else. So for AEA round tables are um Actual presentations. We expect roundtable presenters to give usually about a 15-minute presentation within a 45-minute session, and then they'll usually have a discussion about that presentation. So they are less formal, but there's a there is a presentation in there that sort of guides the discussion. When we think of brown bag idea exchanges, it's more of a just a topical. Commonality. It's almost like standing in the middle of a room and shouting, I'm really interested in data visualization. If you are too, come sit with me and let's have a great lunch. So, you know, it's more the type of uh, formalizing just a bit the type of connections you might make while sitting in an audience at a session or helping those people, especially if you don't have a large network to sort of build your network or to find the other people who are talking about something that, you know, may be fascinating to you. But sometimes when you go to formal sessions, the session itself takes up all the time and you don't really have the time to make the connections and have the discussion. This is completely discussion and connecting. Oh, it sounds a little bit like open space, maybe? Well, we just did a conference this summer um, with the Environmental Evaluators Forum in D.C. that was fully open space, meaning that the attendees created the agenda. But there still was sessions. So attendees would stand up and say, we're going to have, you know, I, I'd like to talk more about this. I have a session. And the expectation was still that there was sort of this meaty discussion and somebody was going to facilitate a discussion um these in theory and we haven't done them before so heaven only knows what actually happens mm. but in theory these are a step back from that it's really just saying you know what you have to eat lunch at some point on saturday you might as well do it with other people who have a common
1: interest i was just going to say that in in, in some respects you you set up the perfect lunch date for evaluators haven't you on this Saturday. <laughs> we're holding (laughs) yeah yeah so what else what else is um what else is happening this year
2: uh logistically we're at the convention center so um this is the first time we've we've sort of overflowed tiny bits into convention centers before if you were with us in denver we used a little corner of the convention center this year um on wednesday we'll be at the the hilton in minneapolis and then thursday friday saturday we will be over at the minneapolis convention center our conference has really grown to a size where most hotels find it difficult for us to fit in there comfortably wow um so we're try we're trying out a convention center next year we 'll be back into a hotel in in washington d c but I think more and more you 'll see some hybrid and eventually we probably will have to move more to a convention center permanently. We have about twenty five to twenty seven hundred attendees each year now, and that 's hard to get into a single hotel or many single hotels it's just fewer and fewer hotels that can hold us comfortably and what and what's the convention center like
1: because sometimes I think of these big you know behemoths where we get lost and it is
2: huge so it's and the good side the bad side the good side is it's big enough that we are not like there's enough room in all the sessions and we're not running into people and we have plenty of space for our exhibitors who aren't you know having people climb over them to take a look at them um but we almost all of our sessions um are going to be there's a little pod on one floor at the bottom of an escalator and then you go up and we have the whole second floor so i really like excuse me, the layout in that it's, it's still all together. We're not sort of moving across, you know, multiple other events because we're not large enough yet that we would take over the whole convention center. But this is a way to sort of have a contained meeting. And the, the Minneapolis convention center is gorgeous. Oh. It's really pretty overlooks the city. Um, and it's nice. So I used to live in St. Paul and I went to school in Minneapolis and uh you know people, let's face it, Minneapolis in October, people think cold and rainy um and I, think of, and I
0: think of I think of n h l hockey and going to see my Canucks beat the wild
2: well, <laughs> uh, come on now, uh, I think of the replacements
1: that was my favorite band in university, they're from Minneapolis,
0: yeah
2: <laughs> but but if you're thinking that it well, I'm actually. Th- Fall in Minneapolis can be gorgeous, but just in case the weather isn't gorgeous, Minneapolis has a huge habit trail system. Um, Or I guess it's better to say indoor sort of tubes that you, you know, walkways that connect (laughs) major buildings downtown.
0: So, Susan, when I think of habit trail, I'm thinking of hamsters and little (laughs) glass tubes.
2: (laughs) Direct hit. Um, And then you can go over. I don't know if you can hear the thunder in the background, but it sounds like we just got exploded. Oh, no. Um, (laughs) <laughs> yes, there's little places you can go over to the side and get in those little pedal wheels um, <laughs> when you're bored in a session. Right, exactly. Just a little off, exercise, burn off uh, some energy. <laughs> it's, it, but yes, they're indoor, you know, indoor walkways that are really nice, clean, fully enclosed, safe and so we have two major hotels and they're sort of at either end of the convention center you can get from the hotel to the convention center without going outside if the weather's unpleasant if the weather is pleasant you can go outside and minneapolis has what i love about this is we're right downtown so we've had some years where we've been in a neat hotel but the hotel is you know out of the central Sort of urban oh. district, oh God, Orlando, Orlando, oh. yes, so the hotel was nice, it was this beautiful yeah. reason, but it yeah. was right you you got uh, Orlando, you got to the front of the hotel and then you had a half mile driveway and you got to the end of the half mile driveway and you were on a small highway, so yeah, you weren't exactly any place you could go out and walk in and, and be somewhere this whole venue, both the hotels, all the hotels and the convention center are smack in the middle of Minneapolis. So, you know, two block walk away, you're on Nicolette Mall, which has restaurants all up and down it. You There's the Walker Art Center. There's uh, other art spaces and galleries. There's Hell's Kitchen, which is my favorite food place in all of Minneapolis for those who are a foodie, which you can actually see from the Hilton. Like, if you go, if you walk outside the front of the Hilton, and you lean a little to the left, you do have to lean over slightly. Uh, you can look down the street and like a block away you see Hell's Kitchen.
0: Is this a Gordon Ramsay Hell's Kitchen?
2: No, but it's awesome. <laughs> it is it's, it's very funky. It has uh homemade everything from homemade infused vodka if you are are a drink aficionado to um in your breakfast, all of their peanut butter is homemade. They're famous for their homemade peanut butter and homemade jelly um to everything in between. So we have a uh, great Local food, made well in a really funky atmosphere, some nice live music, and it's a block away from the Hilton. Well, th- these are really good tips,
1: um, and it makes me think that you know going to a conference is not all about the the academic stuff, but it's also about the, the the social. But I wanted to ask you quickly, Susan, what's um what's the state of the hotel rooms? Are they are they, filled up now, or are the cheap
2: ones gone? What's what's the going on? Cheap the cheap ones are gone. There are rooms left at the Hilton and at the Hyatt, um, but which again flank the hotel, flank the, mini- the convention center on either end. If you're coming in early for the early workshops, you probably want to be at the Hilton because that's where they are. If you're not coming in early, consider the Hyatt. Uh, one thing, especially if you are, you know, unlike me, but if you happen to be. Uh, in this on search for a great gym they had the best in the city and it's free for people who are staying there so they have amazing workout space at the hyatt um if you can also, you know, always go to hotels.com and do a search um, you know, for the distance from the convention center. One thing you might want to look at if you're going to, you know, go it on your own is to uh check public transit. So Minneapolis has a bunch of different tra- public transit systems. Um, you know, if you call another hotel, make sure that they can tell you how far back and how to get there from public transit or get there easily. Um they also have a new light rail system, which I guess is not that new to be to be fair. So when I lived there 15 years ago. They didn't have light rail. They do have, now have light rail. In my mind, everything that has emerged since I left is new. Um, but I think it's been around about 10 years now. Uh, but the light rail system is awesome. You get on it at the airport. It takes you zooming down to the middle of Minneapolis for like two bucks. And um, you can actually walk from the light rail stop over to the hotel. Uh, we had a board meeting there and most of the board just walked over. There's also a free shuttle, like a free bus shuttle that'll take you there. Mm. Um, but it's a, you know, easy way to get in from the airport and uh, save a little bit on the transit back and forth.
0: So Susan, I wanted to ask you, pick your brain a little bit. Um, Obviously, this isn't your first AEA conference. Do you remember the first one you went to?
2: Oh, my goodness. I think my first one was in Atlanta in, like, 1997.
0: You've been to a few of these. This isn't your first rodeo. When I first went to my uh, my very first AEA, um, I was flying down. uh, It was uh, to Denver, and um, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, there's going to be so many different things to see, so many things to do. And so I was really trying to pick someone's brain to find out, what kind of approach do you advise for me to get the most out of this? Do you have any advice for first-time attendees?
2: Our conference program can really be overwhelming. We have over 700 sessions this year with uh, about 3,000 separate people represented on the program. They won't all be presenters. We'll have over 1,000 presenters. Um, But, you know, different separate names. And it can be just hard to wade through and try to figure out how to sort of find what you want and all that. So I suggest a couple of strategies. The first one really is to prepare ahead of time. Online is the searchable conference program. Take the time to go in and search ahead because you can then you can search by keyword. You can search by session type. You can really hone in on sort of the topics that are of interest to you. And it has all of the abstracts. So When you show up on site, you're going to get the conference program in hard copy, but it only has the session titles and the people who are presenting – and individual subsession titles but it won't have the abstracts because otherwise our program would be over a thousand pages long so the place to really find that details online so it's worth it taking that half hour ahead of time to to dive in and of course it's up while you're there as well if you want to do it in your room before you come down um, you know to find the sessions that are that are just right for you the other way to go about this is to think about your learning style so you might want to look at the sessions of a different type, like I love the Ignite sessions, I love demonstrations, I'm sort of a hand-on person. Um, mm-hmm. You also may want to look at it by AEA's topical interest groups. So we have almost 50 topical subgroups of the association. These range from everything related to methodology, so we have quantitative and qualitative, But we also go in the other direction, and we have things like uh, feminist issues in evaluation. We have collaborative participatory and empowerment evaluation, data visualization and reporting. You may want to go back and um, use the index at the back of the program or the – you know, the appropriate item from the search list and look at the ones for a particular TIG and sort of find your, think of your TIG home as a, as a subgroup to, to use like a conference within a conference. And I really suggest that everybody consider going to a TIG business meeting. Um, You know, the topical interest groups, business meetings, a lot of people are sort of intimidated. They're like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not active in that TIG or I just, Should I actually go to their business meeting? The reason I suggest you go is because it's the perfect place to go in and um, get to talk to people who have that common interest that you do and uh, potentially to get involved as well. So uh, you can learn more about what they're thinking about for the program next year or just find others who are sort of invested in the association and invested in that topic.
1: That's also a great uh, segue for me, Susan, because I've been collecting a list of things of how to do AEA on the cheap. Uh, (laughs) So for, you know, thinking of, you know, when I first started going and I was a young student and uh, one of the things I have about one, one of the four ideas that I have is go to the the, the TIG business meeting because it's usually catered so you can eat for free there. Um, are you are you interested? Are you guys interested in hearing the other three tips? Yeah, what you got? Bring it. Okay, so um, first of all, there is the cheap block of hotel rooms. Now, I he- understand this this year, those are already sold out. But yeah, don't be afraid. Uh, I've met lots of people who end up staying in the hostel or the nearby Super 8 or, or whatever. Um, crash the take business meetings. Um, also, see if you can volunteer. Now, this isn't something you can do at the last minute, but if you go through the AA and Susan, you can, you can set that up. Um, and then You know, if you're really, really desperate, one year I went to uh, an early morning session and uh, was really pleased to see that it was catered with breakfast. And I was about a good 10 minutes listening before I realized that it was actually with an insurance company. So I just quietly took my plate of breakfast and left. And so that was another (laughs) way to eat eat for free. So, you know, anyways, so sorry, um, Susan, go on. But I did want to ask you. For the person who has been attending AEA faithfully for 10 or 15 years, what's, what's there for them this
2: year? I think that the, the keynotes we spoke about earlier are really going to help us sort of bring in a new perspective and think about uh, how the association and the field connects with outside groups and upside, outside thinkers. Um, So, I'm excited about that and I think that has something both for new people but for also for those returning uh from the post-conference you know evaluations I always have hate to call them evaluations because I how about the post-conference happy sheets all right were you you happy this year um we have uh, we know that our more senior members say you know it really is a time for networking and we're hoping that it will be a a very welcoming conference we the friday evening reception is actually going to be in the main hall or the main hall on the second floor of the convention center um, which sounds awful but it's actually great it's this huge space it overlooks the city we're going to have live music Um, that's usually when we have a silent auction as well which everybody loves to come and and partake of but really it's an atmosphere that'll be conducive to networking and connecting with with your colleagues and I think that some of the things we talked about earlier are really conducive to that as well. So when we talk about making those connections and, you know, thinking of AEA, if you've been around for 15 years there, people are like, you know, I want to come back. And what I really want to do is is find my friends and, you know, be part of that community again, being in the middle of a downtown that has all of these options to go out to dinner, to even just take a stroll, to uh, go to a museum gives you that chance to connect with all of those people you're going to see again. Another option is just to come in a day earlier, stay, stay a day late, and to take advantage of that. Yeah, and you know, I would—I. This makes me think of the time when I
1: first started going to AEA conferences, and I didn't know anybody. And I, and those networking sessions, you know, they would just strike fear in my heart because I would feel <laughs> shy. And you know, there'd be all these well-known names, you know, patting each other on the back and stuff. And I really felt like an outsider. And it took me, you know, quite a few years before I. Now I can go to an AEA conference and I can see lots of people that I know. But I, I, I almost want to issue a challenge to, to people out there who are very comfortable and have lots of friends there to maybe branch out and at least introduce themselves to one person at one of that one of those receptions who's maybe standing by themselves, looking a little bit uncomfortable, and you know just just make a point of making one new friend to kind of bring that person into the community. I don't know.
2: That's a great point. I think and. Uh, we actually have a conference newsletter that's going to go out in October, um, before the conference. It's, we have a news newsletter that goes out every month. This will be an extra issue that has is just about the conference, and um, I think I'll issue issue the call from you in there because I think that's a really great challenge to people to say you know go out of your comfort zone and and find that new person and bring them in um you know and i'll put it, i'll put out the call to the new people to try not to be quite so shy go out and um we're trying we, i mean over the last five years i'd say we really made an effort to try to make spaces and opportunities where those who might be a little more shy have that that place to go where they can meet people and it might not have to be a large reception. So again, the going back to the idea exchange sessions on Saturday or going to a round table where you can have that informal discussion in a smaller group. Or my favorite really is the poster exhibition. So you go to the poster session on uh, Wednesday night. It's huge. Let's be fair. There's 2,000 people there. There's 100 posters there. But the cool part is you've got the names and titles of all the posters so you can find the topics that are of interest to you. And it's this perfect opportunity because you go over and you're not talking to a crowd. You're really talking to somebody one-on-one. And you'll have this automatic icebreaker right there because what you're talking about is their poster. So I think that's a really good place to sort of start up those conversations and connections um, and and make a big conference and a big big event smaller and something more manageable. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's really, that's really good advice. So we're, um, we're getting close
1: to, to wrapping up, but um, I have two other tips for conference growers. I wonder yes. if you guys think, uh, so the, the first one is, and I might make myself unpopular by saying this, but with so much on offer and so little time and you can't see everything, I Uh, over the years just grew kind of emboldened enough to actually leave a session when when it's not meeting my needs and Mm -hmm. and running to another one. I don't know. How do you feel about that, James?
0: Yeah, I've I've done the same. I hesitate to to make that comment, but I think it's fair to say with so many of us, you know, presenting uh, at such conferences, there's going to be the occasional dud. And and sometimes I even walked into a session and I completely misunderstood what it was going to be. So I want (laughs) to maximize the time, move next door, but even further, I think occasionally I found that it was okay for me to slip down to the gym and go for an hour-long workout just to kind of recharge my energy because it's such a long day. Yeah. The hardest thing for me was feeling like I was going to miss something. Um, but for me to learn, to encode, I think pacing myself across those days um, was also at least my, my one of my strategies.
1: I've I've actually recently heard, and I forget who the fellow is, I think his name is David Rock or somebody, who is actually advocating that when planning conferences, we actually build in those periods of downtime when absolutely nothing's happening, but not just at five o'clock, but a couple times during the day where people can actually have that quiet time to integrate what they're learning.
2: Susan? It's a really good point. I mean, we've we've struggled with it. when When I started, we used to go from eight in the morning until... Uh six at night, the reception started at six thirty and we went to eight. We didn't even have lunch breaks there was just it was every ten minute break in between and we went from beginning to the end um so at least now we stop for lunch <laughs> there's a There's a little bit of time time out there in the middle. We've tried to expand some of the breaks from you know ten to twenty to we have a half hour break um each day i believe as well uh still, I've been to the Canadian conference, and um it is a different pace. It's, you know, I understand where people coming from and saying it just you don't get to take a breath at AEA. And that's that's true. I think you have to make your space to take your breath. Find yeah. find that slot and not feel like you have to see anything. I love the idea of running off to the gym. I would add something about, you know, session hopping, which I tried not to condone. But <laughs> I completely understand. Um, but. If you're there, if you know it's a session that's for you, you know the speakers, you know you're going to be there, go sit right up front and applaud loudly. But if you know that, you know, you're not sure, you're fishing, you you think this might be right, but it's really a hit or miss for you, the only thing I would ask is is consider, like, sitting towards the back or at the end of the row. So you're yeah, not, exactly. you know. Yeah, you're, you're not, obviously. You're not leaving from yeah. the middle of the audience. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's like a little
0: a- disheartening to the poor it speaker. Is
2: terribly to the speaker to the people other people who are trying to watch you know the whole the, the whole thing so so try to think of ways to take your exit graciously yeah um, and then the
1: other thing that I have is uh, sitting in my inbox or every year at AEA I take about 20 pages of, of notes double-sided but I need to integrate those all into the work that I'm doing and I'm furiously trying to do it on the plane on the way home but I never finish and I think oh that's fine I'm going to do that when I get home but sure enough I never quite get to it so I still have notes from 2011 and two thousand ten that I have yet to go through and apply to that <laughs> i 'm doing, and it 's all really critical stuff, uh, so i can 't throw them out, but uh, I would say if you can create yourself some time uh, yeah. to really integrate uh, all of that learning and and put it where it needs to go before you get home, because of course, when you get home, you get hit with that tsunami of work that you put off all week so
0: so just a just a thought on that, so as an internal evaluator, we usually have a small team of evaluators and as much as we'd like to sometimes we have to send somebody to the AA, someone else to the Canadian Evaluation Society and someone else to you know other conferences. So what we commit to doing is making sure that when we go we're actually uh, accountable and on the hook to come back and we pre-schedule a meeting where we have to share a bit about the sessions that we've been to with our work colleagues who couldn't go to the conference and it doesn't need to be a long, drawn-out process, but um, I, I agree, Kyla. I think part of our individual synthesis and committing to uh, producing something like that um, with our colleagues in our uh, respective consulting companies or our internal evaluation teams is uh, really useful. It also actually helps my boss uh, approve my attendance at such things.
1: Yes, that's true. So um, just to to wrap up then, Susan, we um, were all kind of shocked last week then to get the big news that came down that you're actually leaving AEA. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
2: Well, I've been, um, as we talked about a little bit earlier, I've been with AEA for, on an, for in some capacity, for about 15 years. Um, and, you know, I almost think for my adult life, I have, this has been been my work. And I love it. I'm passionate about evaluation. I'm passionate about the field. But in some ways, AEA has wonderfully outgrown me. It's, I think of it as a, you know, it's, it, as I said, I live in a dorm. So I live in a dorm with 18 adolescent boys. And, you know, my goal is to help them a bit through adolescence and see them off into the world. And in some ways, the AEA, it just had a really long adolescence with me, sort of 15 years ongoing. Um, but it's really moving to a space where it's, it's ready for someone to take it along for the next 15 years. And I'm ready to spend a little more time with my family.
1: Oh, wow. Well, you will be missed, but uh, certainly understandable. And uh, yeah, their gain, our loss. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah.
0: So okay. Susan, any any reflections uh, over you know the years that you've been with AEA and changes in the conference, things you're most you're most proud of participating in?
2: Oh, you know, what's what's gone right? I'm excited conceptually on the broadest scale to say that sort of when I started, AEA had a really good, strong foundation. It had this great conference that it held every year. It had two journals that were really leading the field, but that was that was it, sort of, you know, our, our association got together around those three things, and I hope, and I've been working towards trying to um, work with our many, many groups, especially through the TIGs, to make AEA sort of a a 365-day-a-year association so that we're really a community of practice, not just a group that holds an event or has journals. Um, So we've seen us add other professional development opportunities. We now have uh, year-round e-study and online content. I know you've spoken with Stephanie about it. Um, We have AEA 365, which is a Basically, a blog that has a tip a day—you know, one page equivalent—on some aspect of evaluation, written by a, I would almost a different evaluator every day. We have about 250 contributors last year, and you know, so really is something out there 365 days a year for our members and for the field. And that shift is something that I'm so proud to have been just a small part of to to see that happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, congratulations, Susan. That's a a great run that you had, and we hope that you don't uh, kind of disappear from us all together. Thanks very much, Susan. So I guess that's it for um, this week. So, uh, folks, we're interested to know what your kind of favorite memories of the AEA conference or, you know, any questions or comments that you have on anything you heard today. You can leave them at adventuresinevaluation.podbean.com. And we're also available on iTunes, are we not, James?
0: We are. So for those of you who want to have uh, these uh, podcasts downloaded automatically to your favorite uh, uh, media device, please just go through iTunes and you can enter uh, James Coyle or Kylie Hutchinson or Adventures in Evaluation into the uh, iTunes search bar and you'll find our podcast.
1: That's great. So thanks, Susan. Thanks, James. And um, we'll see everybody next time on Adventures in Evaluation.
0: Thanks, Susan. Thanks for
1: having me. Bye. Bye Bye.